Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hello. Yay. Hi, Jareen. Hi. Nice to be with you both. You guys, Mead and I are like nerding out. We are so excited. We're fangirling all of the things today because we have just the most incredible woman on with us today. If you're in the sober or sober curious universe, you already know her. Jolene Park is here with us today. And I'm just going to tell you for those of you who don't know her, Jolene's the one that coined gray area drinking, you guys. She is the one that came up with it and she's an expert on it. So we're going to spend today talking about it. Um, her, her TED talk, um, that she did on gray area drinking has over 400,000 views. Is that still, is it, it's probably more than that, right? Yeah. I was going to say, um, today, as of today, it's getting very close to half a million. And it's amazing. I mean, I've watched it a few times. It's awesome. She is a functional nutritionist, a health coach who provides a new and revolutionary way to rewire, replenish, and repair the nervous system after quitting drinking, which is so important. Um, her nourish method applies to anyone questioning their drinking or who has already quit, especially those who don't have a crash and burn drinking story. Um Today, Jolene guides clients through the necessary physiological steps to reduce excessive alcohol consumption, anxiety, and cravings. She also trains healthcare practitioners on the importance of comprehensively nourishing neurotransmitters and supporting their clients' nervous systems. She's coming up to nine years alcohol-free this December. Whoop, whoop. She's been featured on NPR, CBS Morning, Forbes, and everywhere, basically. She is originally from Colorado, but currently is living in Charleston. So we are so excited to have you, Jolene. I'm so excited to talk about all the things. There's so many things to talk about, right? There's Yes. So many things. And we actually have so many things. We're going to split this into two episodes, you guys. So we're going to talk today on our first one all about gray area drinking and her nourish method and all that good stuff. And then we're really excited um, to do our second episode on her faith story and her pilgrimage to Israel and Oh my gosh. We can't oh, wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. Talk to us. Tell us about how you stopped drinking and how you coined Gray drinking and all of the good stuff. Well, you know, I stopped drinking very quietly and I also drank pretty quietly. And, and what I mean by that is so much of my drinking was living alone, working and traveling alone and having some wine at night alone, you know, as I'm watching Netflix. Also, after it wasn't like I was a total hermit. So I would go out with friends often all the time, you know, many, many evenings, kind of that young professional uh, sex in the city crowd and um, out, you know, out with Mm -hmm. the girls all the time. But then I would often then go home and drink more on my own. So, so much of my that it was that quiet drinking that people just didn't realize. So it wasn't that people would say I was someone who didn't drink because I would be out with friends drinking. But what people didn't know was then I would often drink more. And then when I was traveling for work, I'm by myself, I'm on an expense account and would 
go have, you know, dinner after after working in a city that I'm not living in, sit at the bar, order a steak dinner, whatever, and a couple glasses of red wine. So that was quiet. Um, I, at the time, I didn't think about it as I'm hiding it. It that wasn't even, didn't even occur to me that I'm, and I still don't know that I would describe it that way. But yeah. it's just um, the majority of my drinking people didn't see. And so, you know, my story of quitting, people also didn't see. It was also mm. quiet. So yeah. I, after many, many rounds and years of Groundhog Day, stopping drinking because it wasn't hard for me to stop. And I could stop and I did stop because I would get to these points saying, I, I don't want to keep, do you know, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to drink for a while. And then I wouldn't drink for a while. And then I would say, why am I being so restrictive? Like, I don't need to be so all or nothing. So I'd go back to drinking. So I did that over for probably 10 years, honestly, and then got to a point saying, I'm, I'm done. Like, there's no more illusion or delusion of, of yeah. what this is going to be. It's just always the same Groundhog Day pattern over and over. So I stopped quietly. I didn't go to treatment. I didn't, I didn't need outside intervention to stop drinking because I could stop. What the piece was, was staying stopped. And I made the decision in December 2014, this is it. I resolute just a real quiet internal conversation. I, I'm not going to drink again. It was quiet. And I stuck with it for the, you know, that first year and a half. Nobody, friends and family who were used to me having dinner with them and having a glass of wine there, you know, I obviously wasn't drinking. So they knew, but they also weren't overly like, what's going on? You know, why are you not drinking? Um, and I, I actually, at that point, I, I had kind of, I wanted people to be more like, okay, what's up? Like what you, mm -hmm. you're declining. <laughs> wine and yeah. We're just like, okay. And so about a year and a half into it then was when I stopped being quiet and started talking more publicly. So yeah, my, my drinking, the bulk of it, how I drank a bottle of wine by myself was often by myself and how I quit was by myself. Wow. Wow. I laughed when you said you wish that people would ask you questions because I feel like the, the so many clients that me and I talk about like that, you know, that we coach, it's all about what do we say to all these people that are asking all the questions? So that's I know. amazing. I know. It, yeah. it's, it's the top question I deal with, with my clients in coaching as well. What I find though with it is it's the anticipation and the worry that yeah. people are going to ask. But my experience in working with clients over seven years is that if we don't go into a situation and make a big declaration and a big announcement and front load it, I don't drink, I don't, people then don't ask and, and ask for an explanation or get into a debate or inquire about it. If we don't spotlight it, other people don't spotlight it. And I think that's the biggest kind of, there's such an anticipatory fear, but the yeah. reality is most people don't ask. And a lot of people don't care. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Or if they do ask, it's then you have that uncomfortable feeling for maybe 10 to 15 minutes while the spotlight might be on you for a hot minute. But then the conversation moves on, right? And it's not this like be all end all like party stopping life changing conversation. It's just like, oh, why aren't you drinking? Yeah. Right, right. And and we can put whatever energy into that we want. We can leave totally. with, you know, a problem or we can 
however we want to tell that story. And for me, I just told the truth. And the truth is, I don't have a dark rock bottom. I don't have, you know, this, this big crash and burn story. I'm very honest about that. And it's the truth. And, and then I just say, I just decided I didn't want to drink it. And a lot of it was because of the work I was doing in wellness, what I knew about the brain and health and just anti-aging and disease prevention. Like it wasn't congruent with what I knew and what I was doing. And that's what, you know, if people ask me, that's what I say. I just tell the truth. And you can see in people's eyes, they're like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. I mean, I have actually been thinking the same or tell me more. I, you know, I respect that. I, I've been thinking about doing it, but I just haven't taken the steps to, to try to stop. So yeah. that's the experience when we really play it out is people are curious, they resonate, they'll start telling you their story instead of there's this fear that people are going to, you know, badger us and harass us and um, not like us, but that's, that's not what happens. Yeah, so true. We had a guest recently say that like you become the most interesting person in a room when you're the yeah. one that's not drinking in a sense. You're kind of like put, but you're, but to your point, Jolene, like you have to kind of put it out there. Like that's the vibe you're putting out that you welcome the questions. And so like you were saying that you were kind of like drinking quietly and you quit drinking quietly. So it makes sense why people probably weren't asking, but then, you know, at a, at a certain point you wanting to like, you wanting to get loud about it and like share about it. you wanted someone to ask you, this is a hard thing for, for people starting this journey to, to see is like, at what point do we go from being afraid of that? And we, you know, obviously coach through those kinds of like fear anticipatory kind of mindsets, but to that confidence and that's in that space of like, no, I, I want to be able to talk about this. And so what did that look like for you? You said, then you decided you wanted to get loud about it. So um, what did that, what did that look like? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have shame about my drinking. There's, I, I really don't carry in truthfully anything heavy that I regret or I'm really ashamed about, mm. but I also then don't have shame about stopping drinking. Mm. I'm, I'm quite proud of, you know, the fact that I stopped because the, the truth is, the other truth is, is that alcohol was a problem for me and I don't, I, you know, and I, I don't have any shame about say, saying that and just being really honest. So sitting by myself and drinking a bottle of wine that's a problem for me. It's, it's too much, you know, for me. And, and that's the, that's the long and the short of the story. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. I'm not ashamed to say that. And, and I think one reason too, why I'm not is because I'm not a minority. Like it's not yeah. like, Oh, everybody yes. else is there is not doing this. And I was the, I'm the only one who drank a bottle of wine. I'm in the majority. And so mm -hmm. I, for me, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to isolate myself from the herd and, and act like I'm the only one. I'm going to say, look, this is what I'm doing. And I know everybody else is doing it too. And I'm just going to name it. Um, mm. And and when I say that, it, people will say, you can just see in their face. They're like, yeah, I get what you're talking about. Like, this is me. This is how I drink. Yeah. So that's why I don't have the shame about just naming. I, I'm a little bit of a rebel rouser, <laughs> a little I bit like it. Let's just call it what it is. And I, yeah. why am I going to dance around this and act, you know, like there's, a, a, it is what it is. There's this huge white elephant in the room. Every, most everyone who drinks, drinks like this. 
Not everyone, mm-hmm. but uh, most people do. So I'm just going to name it. And, I, and I'm not going to try to be like, I'm the minority. I'm actually part of the majority. And I'm proud of the decision that I made you know, within, within that drinking culture. I'm really proud that I decided to step out of it. I am here love for that. it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's so good. And it's so true. And it's, it's just, it's, is that what led you to then? And where did like, where, where did you coin in gray area then come from? Was it just like, was it a, a, like a blog post you were writing one day and then it just kind of went on from there or like, how did it start? And how did you, how did you get it get from you realizing this to you telling everybody about it on your TED talk? Yeah, it was, you know, it was the early conversations. And I did a podcast with Aiden Donnelly Rally. Yeah, we started in 2017. And our podcast is called Edit, Editing Our Drinking and Our Lives. And those recordings are still up. We don't, we don't actively um, record right now. But our conversations back and forth, we would talk a lot. Um, we got to know each other. And it just organically in our conversations of there's this gray area. It's mm-hmm. neither one of us and millions of other women don't need medical intervention to stop drinking, but we're also not drinking every now and again, where we're drinking is in between. And it's just this gray area between what we've historically looked at as like these black and white two categories, pick one or the other. And then from the nutrition perspective, I just started digging as I do. I, you know, Google <laughs> And to my surprise, there's research from the American Dietary Guidelines in 2010. I I had no idea. I didn't learn this in my nutrition training. But when I started doing my own research after I stopped drinking, uh, the term gray area was coined when they started, when they redid the dietary guidelines in 2010. And the same thing about saying, if we're going to recommend to, for, from a U.S., you know, the United States dietary piece, for people to um, prevent disease and have optimal health of what they're eating and drinking, we can't ignore alcohol. There's this gray area and that's how they named the study. So between the conversations, between the research, then I really pioneered the, the voice um, yeah. behind really bringing, you know, this term gray area then to, to the marketplace. That's so awesome. Yeah. Go ahead, me. That's, I was sorry. Uh, that's, um, I'd seen your TED talk and when I was free from alcohol, very early on free from alcohol. And that's what really kind of really helped. Like you were talking about, like not having the shame about the drinking and, and kind of stepping into that place of confidence about like, like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't working for me. What really helped me was your description of like from that outside looking in, no one would think you have a problem, but from the inside out, it feels like it's a problem to you not to steal your thunder and, you know, say your kind of definition of gray area drinking. But I will never forget the day that I heard that explained in that way by you. And it, for me, it was like, yes, because I stayed stuck for so long thinking that I don't have a problem and I have to wait till it gets better. I have to wait for that rock bottom because of that kind of more black and white drinking that, that you know, you, you talked about. And so can you say a little bit more about like, what am I leaving? I'm leaving out stuff in that. But um, first of all, thank you for kind of normalizing that. And then also putting words to that. Can you give some more, uh, you know, color to, to gray area drinking uh, as a category? Well, I, you know, it's all about breaking those stigmas because it's done a real disservice to women and because there have been these stereotypes that have just by momentum, by default, 
been regurgitated over the years since the 1930s of this notion that got anchored in and at a time it served of this, this idea of rock bottom and catastrophic job loss and lose the relationship and, you know, the whole thing end up on the streets and whatever. And then this thing of like really the spiritual, you know, that admitting kind of are making the amends spiritually and the character defects and checking our ego. That was also a lot, you know, male dominated from, from Bill W, the founder of AA. And, and it served its, its purpose. You know, it helped a lot of people. It still helps a lot of people. I'm not anti-AA. But what's happened is there's this whole drinking culture that's happened, especially with women, that we just have turned this blind eye to until the last decade. And so it's breaking all those stigmas and just really naming what's true. Because I still talk to many, many people who will say, you know, I, I still read even some of the popular quitlet and they'll still say, but their story is still too extreme than my story. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they still have a problem. You know, I, I don't mince words. I mean, I will say when I'm talking, when I'm working with clients, I'll say, there's no doubt in my mind that alcohol, not you, but alcohol is a problem for, you know, is a problem. And alcohol is a problem for me. There's no, you know, so I'll get, sometimes I'll get that criticism with the TED talk. I'm like, ah, just call it what it is. You're just an alcoholic. Or you're just, oh, yeah. I've gotten and, that too. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it, that doesn't bother me. It really, it's, it's because the, the point is, is that alcohol, when it's in your system and chemically altering you, it's a problem. And it doesn't take much to, to, for that to happen. And so for this, this stereotype, this stigma, this perception to, to, um, perpetuate that there's people who can drink alcohol and quote, get away with it. <laughs> and then there's others who drink alcohol and don't get away with it. That's what, and it's, it's just, we just have to continue. It's just a continuing, um, you know, kind of beating the same drum of alcohol is a problem. And it, you know, regardless of how that looks like nothing external happens um, all of these pieces, it's still it's still a problem for most women. And to be able to name that can be really liberating, can be really empowering. Yeah. And I'm willing to just tell my story around it and be that voice of, you know, look, I didn't get a DUI. I didn't know, you know, I didn't lose a relationship or a job because I was drinking. But drinking a bottle of wine most nights, couple three, whatever. I, I never really kept track, honestly. It's a problem. It's absolutely, mm-hmm. that's why I quit. So people who are like, oh, you know, you weren't, you, you know, that's not that bad or, or it was too much. Either way, it's absolutely, it, it was a problem for me. It's a problem for a lot of people, but they feel like it's not that bad or not that extreme. So they keep drinking. And I just want to say, whatever you're drinking, whatever quantity, you know, amount, if it's bothering you, it's too much. And it's time mm-hmm. to stop right now. Like you don't need any more proof. You don't need any more. It's just, this is, if there's ever a, t- a day to stop, today is the perfect day to stop drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. I just think about like, when I'm listening to you, like, I, st- I stopped drinking right before lockdown hit. And so at the beginning, my my stop story was like very much very quiet until I started getting loud on my Instagram. And that's when everyone was asking all the questions. But I just remember thinking to myself, 
I know that this is a problem for every single one of my, I, I mean, this is a podcast, so I shouldn't say this, but hopefully they don't listen. All of my friends, <laughs> I know that everybody's drinking exactly like me, but why, if not more, it, if not more, why isn't it a problem for them? You know what I mean? What That was the thing I was like, why is it a problem for me? Mm-hmm. Why is everybody else look perky at school drop off and can do all the things, but I feel like I want to crawl in a hole and die. But you're right. It's like, I guess it's just, it's, it is a problem no matter what. And it's a spectrum. And we obviously don't see other people's problems either, right? We don't see how they're sleeping and how their relationships are and all of that stuff. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. So and, and I would say to that, we don't, it's, I don't know that it's about seeing it. It's about, we don't talk about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really name easy. It. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really easy to put on the mask. We, people put on mm-hmm. a mask mm-hmm. with, with, I mean, it doesn't have just to be alcohol. Right. Um, and so people are walking around right now with that mask of drinking last night and we don't look at them. We don't see them and be like, oh, they drank too much last night. Yeah. <laughs> but as soon as you start talking to them, which I do as a coach, is yeah. all it takes is 15 minutes. And then they're saying, this is yeah. what's going on. That I woke up mm-hmm. at three in the morning, but yet I went to the gym. And yet, but their friends are saying, well, she's getting away with it. Like she's pulling it off. She went to yeah. the gym. She went to yeah. the gym. So I think it's not about seeing it. It's about not talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And that's what is so amazing about your work is like you're one of the pioneers of talking about it because when I even first started doing this in 2020, I didn't even know that there were people. And obviously I know you were out there before then, but I didn't know. And so obviously Mm -hmm. we're, we're all getting louder about this and there's so much more information now. Thank God. How have you seen the culture shift from when you started doing this work to now? Do people, do you feel like people feel less alone? Do you feel like people have more support like that come to you that they, that they know this stuff already? Or is it, is it brand new information to them that you can be a quote unquote greater air drinker and you don't have to necessarily go to AA and there are other ways to look at this? Yeah, I think it's still brand new to a lot of people. Uh, you know, yeah. we have a lot of work to do. Like we need to yeah. keep talking. <laughs> keep, yeah. there, there's many, many, many people out there that have no idea this conversation's going on. It's, it's a very new, new conversation. Many people have been impacted in the last decade and have stopped yeah. drinking and there's so even five years ago, there just wasn't the Instagram presence of Gregory drinking. Like I see these accounts. I'm like, who are, you know, I used to kind of know all the, all the yeah. coaches on the space. There's just, so there's so many people who have jumped in the pool online. Certainly. Um, there's so many people who have stopped drinking in the last decade that wouldn't have, you know, under kind of that old paradigm of like rock bottom that wouldn't have stopped drinking. Um, but they have now because of this conversation. And there's still millions and millions that have no idea this conversation is mm. is happening. And to your what we were just talking about a bit ago about like we see it, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I I go into how do I want to say this? I think I'll just say it. Say it. <laughs> just yes. say it. This is the place. <laughs> when I go into, I'll just put it this well, it was. I went to a private high school graduation. I will um, a couple of years ago, and there was a big kind of white tent lunch party after you know for the, the families and the graduation. Then everyone went on to their own back to home with grandparents and stuff. I said to my mom, I said, "Every woman in this luncheon right now 
is potentially my client. And she's, what are you talking about? <laughs> so no one's talking, but that's how mm-hmm. I see it. So I kind of am like, especially in the affluent upper middle class, to me, it's, there's a problem here with alcohol unless proven innocent. Like I just kind of assume yeah. guilt. <laughs> yeah, love it. So it's out there and, and they have no idea about these podcasts, the, you know, the Instagram conversation. So there's a whole demographic. There's millions of people that are drinking in the gray area and are still under that old stigma of like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Um, My life is still, you know, I haven't lost anything. The wheels haven't fallen off and they are absolutely problem drinking and they know they're problem drinking in that still small, quiet voice inside. They're just not talking about it. Yeah. uh, What's changed? More people are finding this. But what's still to come, many, many, many more people still need to find find this conversation. It's so, yeah, it's, there's so much in what you've said because, um, you know, you talked about like being able to name it. Yes, we see it. I saw it for a long time, but I chose to ignore it, kept looking away, looking away. And I kept myself self stuck for so long with those stories that said like, it's not bad enough. I can't have a problem. I'm not drinking maybe as much as my friend. I mean, all the things that we we would say. And you, you so powerfully said, like, it is so liberating to not just see it, but to name it. Yet that is, that is, that's the, that's the rub because it's also so painful to name it because what if I name it and then it is just me in this space to your point, being in places where being that voice and being able to share so that everyone else there who has had that thought for a second, who has started to maybe start, you know, look at it can go, okay, maybe this isn't just a me thing. And then, I mean, we could take that in that whole biblical narrative way to the coverings and the shame, the isolation and the turning way. I mean, all of that is, is part of that. And we'll save that for later. But, um, I, I really, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm really inspired by your, uh, your confidence and boldness and your ability to like say, yeah, let's, let's name it. And, it's okay because that's where it starts, and that's what we get to do for people as as coaches. And one thing I do want to say that uh, that has changed. And um, so I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, right now. I've been here. I'm going on my third year. I absolutely love it. Um, and one of the, you know, when I first moved here, a lot of people said to me, even you know, who live here, said this is a big drinking culture. <laughs> but then I go to the UK, and people say this is uh-huh. a big culture. Yeah, and then uh-huh. going. <laughs> an organization and people say our industry is a big drinking industry. Yes. It doesn't matter what city, industry, country you're in. Everyone's going to say that because drinking's everywhere. But what's changed and what I do see is where there's, I'm like, that's great. Where there's big drinking populations, that also means now after a decade of this conversation, there's also big alcohol-free conversations and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. communities. And that's what's changed. That's what's changed even in five years. Like here in downtown Charleston, there's a um, an alcohol-free bar, like a tasting room with all, and there's a popping up all over the place and and communities. Like, I mean, there's a really mm-hmm. rich community because if there's a lot of drinkers, that means these drinkers are going to start questioning their drinking and stop drinking. So on the other side of that, there's a huge alcohol-free community here in Charleston. There was one in Denver. I know there's one in the UK, in London. So mm-hmm. that for people who, you know, you're not the minority, that we're not yeah. just sitting here like I'm the only one, everyone else is going to drink. So many people are stopping drinking. And especially if you're in an, an area that you're saying there's so much drinking, you're going to find so many non-drinkers out who have decided to go alcohol free in the recent years as well. You just have to 
have to do a little a little digging and you'll find them very quickly. Yeah, there's never been a better time. I was um I was talking to someone uh yesterday and was just talking about the no and low alcohol um market and it's apparently like last year was up to 11 billion. Um yeah. And so it's a heat, like, uh, yeah, massive, massive growth there. And even here, I mean, in London, yes, you can go to all the, all the places, all the pubs, but they, they now have like non-alcoholic beer. And like, you know, mm-hmm. if you live in a cosmopolitan city, like pretty much you're, I think you're good. You know, there are, you just have to exactly what you said, find it for sure. And I'm finding, this is what's different to your question too. Now, when I, this didn't happen five years ago, but now when I mention I don't drink or it's the work I do. Instead of, oh, I've kind of been thinking the same. What comes back is, oh, I don't drink either. So for mm. example, I, I go to this place where I do the cold plunge and the infrared sauna and everything. And I was talking to a guy who's doing kind of this entrepreneurial piece with insurance. And I was like, oh, I'd love to you know, talk more. Here's kind of what I'm doing. We're just talking business. Like, I'm not like, let me tell you how I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I haven't drank for four years myself. I'm talking, just met somebody who her fiance runs the biggest, well, actually, I won't, I won't name it to get, but anyway, here in Charleston, and we were just, again, talking, and I was saying, you know, this is the work I do, and she, and she told me she hasn't drank for four years, so I'm finding that more and more, instead of, that didn't, you know, before, we would say, mm-hmm. and people were like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, so I've thought about it, now you say, and people are like, oh, yeah, I don't either, it's like, really? Wow, I, I mean, we were talking business, <laughs> and, yeah, and didn't even occur to me that, like, I wouldn't have asked or known otherwise. But more and more people are stopping. Yeah, it's so true. I love hearing about those differences and what you've seen being in this space for so long. It's only been, you know, almost uh, four years for me, but and it's so hopeful to see that, you know, see culture shifting to where it is more normalized to be in alcohol-free spaces and to build that community so that we don't feel so alone in whatever, whatever it is. And then also on the same hand, like to your point too, that there's also still so much work to do. It's, it's yeah. always, it's always the yes. And, um, but it's inspiring to, to kind of keep just like to your point, sharing your voice. I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit around your, how you, you know, talk about nourishing your nervous system when you're moving into that freedom from alcohol space. And can you give us a little background on, on what that looks like? Yeah, it, it all kind of came together organically and over many years of work. And I worked in corporate wellness. That's been my foundation before I stopped drinking. So in 2004 to 2011, I did a lot of corporate work and traveled around the US. And I taught that a wellness wheel. So a wheel that I designed of this comprehensive approach that there's nutrition, there's emotions, there's spirituality, there's relaxation. And, you know, there's these different pieces. It's not just what we eat. We have this narrow definition of eat right and exercise, and that makes us healthy. Do those things. We absolutely. So we want to have good food. We want to move our bodies, but there, it's not the only thing. So a lot of people exercise and eat right but they may have credit card debt up to their eyeballs or in toxic relationships or they're drinking too much or spiritually bankrupt or, you know, whatever. And so I've always come from that approach and, and worked corporate wise teaching that in corporate wellness that resonated, you know, for the audiences and HR teams wanted me to come in and talk about, talk about that. And so I, before I stopped drinking, I worked with a woman who helps with kind of branding and just looking at your business and your work and, 
And so together, she, just her hearing my personal story, again, this is pre-stopping alcohol, and my professional story, She, her name is Erin Weed, and she works with entrepreneurs and speakers on going through a dig of like excavating and digging what's that word that encapsulates your work. And in our work together, the word that came out was nourish. So I, and it's kind of that comprehensive wellness wheel, um, body, mind, spirit approach. So then when I submitted my application for the TED Talk, I submitted it saying, I want to talk about women and alcohol. But I really then when they selected me, I was struggling in writing it. I'm like, how do you encapsulate this big idea in 15 minutes? Like it's a whole different thing than teaching a workshop or keynoting or something. And so about halfway through my writing process, I was like, oh, nourish. I'll pull that in. And then I put the acronym to it. So it's evolved over the years. It, it didn't just, you know, something that, that came up kind of a couple of years ago. It's, it's always been my work, but I've been refining it and tightening it. And that acronym really all came together at just that synchronistic moment to really describe all, you know, I've been teaching neurotransmitters since 2006 and knew all that, but it's like, oh, this is a way to really talk about gray area drinking and give some really actionable takeaways. And it just all came together and, and worked at the right moment. Love that. So do you teach that then both one-on-one and in groups? And then you also, when you train your coaches, you is that the, the protocol that you teach them as well? It is. So it's my nourish method. It, and again, it's always how I've worked with groups. It's always how I've worked with individuals. And it's certainly how I work with gray area drinkers. So there's these universal threads um, whatever somebody's dealing with of, of overly worried about, you know, other people outside of them, just internal anxiety, cravings around sugar or alcohol, or just getting their routines, you know, a healthier kind of optimization. There's, there's threads throughout when you look at, at well-being literature and the things that come up over and over and over, whether we're talking about something emotional or something physical is nature, breath the power of community, food, which is where my original training is in, movement, stillness, which encapsulates sleep, but also that spiritual stillness, and then creativity. So it's it's coming back to the basics, which covers a lot of bases, whatever bases, you know, uh, somebody comes to, and even myself, you know, as we go through different transitions and, and cycles and seasons in our life, coming back to the nourished basics are going to cover a lot of bases for us physically, mentally, and spiritually. Yeah, I love that so much. Can you speak a little bit on the creativity piece? Just because I think, at least on this podcast, I feel like we've been through, maybe we don't, I, I know we've talked about all of them, but I feel like let's, yeah, will you speak a little bit on the creativity piece of it and why that's so important for our nervous system? Well, play is, yeah. is, very important. And so when we look at longevity studies and, you know, people who live to be a hundred or more, just optimal health, kind of alcohol aside, this is where things like community, spiritual connection and play outlets really come, you know, come into play. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse yeah. Yeah. And this is where it's not always about the broccoli and it's not always about aerobic exercise, but people mm -hmm. have that longevity um, and aren't in addictive processes and often aren't using, you know, needing a lot of prescription medication is they have these bigger vital nutrients in place. So we're active. We need to rest. 
We're um, doing a lot of output execution. We need to play. We need the balance in life. And it just, it supports the brain. It's how, um, it's how the brain can, you know, downshift. It's how the stress response can come down. So my unscientific observation over the years is people who age slower and don't take as much medication is they have some sort of leisure activity. And when we're giving up drinking, a lot of people will say, I drink to have fun. It's what I do to have fun. And so we really then have to reevaluate and add some things in around what's that hobby? What is the fun thing? And not just because like, oh, you should do it or it's a coaching assignment. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really helpful for the nervous system and the brain. Um, because if we don't have kind of that positive, healthy fun, we're going to default to the mm -hmm. negative, unhealthy fun, which can be alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Part of the, the like the most fun thing to do, I feel like with clients, right, is find those like fun hobbies that you used to do pre-drinking. You know, so many people like me and I always talk about like that was one of our main hobbies, just drinking, cocktailing. Mead says, you know, but really like looking at what you did as a child, even that you that lit you up, you know, that you can you can pull from because I think at least I know I got to the point where like I when I had to address my drinking, like I. I forgot what that even was without alcohol, you know? So that's, I think, so fun to do with the clients for sure. Yeah. And the purpose of fun, play, creativity is that it's that flow state. So it lets the mm -hmm. brain be active, yeah. um, but kind of step off the track of the sympathetic stress around work yeah. or kids or money, but there's still that active flow. So it's a, it's, it's a part stillness, but it's a part active. So people will talk about when they run, they're in that zone. And it's the, it, we need yes. the, the body and the mind need to be active, but get in that. Like when I taught corporate wellness, I'd ask people like, what do you do for fun? And they'd be like, I go out on the fishing boat. I'm like, that's amazing. That's awesome. When you're out on the fishing boat um, on the weekends, are you thinking about things here at work? And they're like, oh gosh, no. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's the way it should be. We need to step off the track and downshift. And people talk about that with alcohol. They're like, the only way that I valve this kind of release, that I get that relief, that I get the reward is alcohol. And so we need the release. We need the reward. We need to, uh, to let that the steam come out of the valve. But if we haven't been taught or shown how to do that without a bar or a bakery, alcohol or sugar... Mm -hmm then mm -hmm. it's something we really need to relearn, not because you should or you have to, but because the mind and the body need to step off the track. We, we can't, mm -hmm. you can't go all the time. And so that flow state through play, through creativity, it's a vital nutrient. It really helps the brain and the nervous yeah. system. It makes me, yeah, it makes me think of how I, uh, you know, I definitely went to wine looking for that relief from the noise in my head so like that relief, so to speak, in my head, but then I was, you know, putting myself in a duller, number, not active in my body kind of space, whereas free from alcohol, there's this lake we go to every summer and they have this giant swing, you know, from this huge tree and it's usually just children just, you know, lining up, taking turns on this swing. And my first time going free from alcohol several years ago, I was like, pushing kids out of the way. I was like, let me at that swing. And that swing. And I was like, this, and I was like, oh, this is what I like to do. Like, I remember swinging for hours as a kid. I love doing it. And there, it was, it, there's a piece of my 
it's my body is not active, active, right? But like in a stress state, there's a, there's a, it's the flow. It's exactly what you're describing. My mind, I'm totally present. My mind is not going a million. I'm not thinking about what I need to do later or what I've done before, like all the things. It's just that. And it did feel nourishing. It did feel, um, you know, it was, it was foreign. And it's now something that having had that taste early on in freedom from alcohol, I'm like, yes, that I know is something when we look at like what does serve and what, what does serve me and what doesn't serve me. Alcohol does not serve me. I know that what does serve me finding things like that now playing pickleball or, um, hitting tennis balls with my son or riding a bicycle on the, on the South Carolina beaches where it's flat and you can, you can ride on the sand. I love doing that because of how I think, I mean, you can go back to like how God created us to be in, in that kind of wholeness state, that integrated brain state where it is less noisy chatter over here and present moment. It just, yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going with that other than to say like, <laughs> I get exactly what you're talking about. And I love that you brought it to that because I'm not sure that I've even been able to articulate that that is part of that. And when we talk to people about like, well, how am I going to have fun? Like out drinking is fun. It's like, well, let's really zoom out and re and define what is fun. How do we know when we are having fun? Like what, what do we feel when we're having fun? Now I have like this visual for what fun is that it includes not that crazy mind and the past regret and the future and all that. And it, and it's that, that stillness of mind, but that fullness and, and embodied experience. Um, yeah. That's and, exactly, and, exactly. Yeah. And we need it. We need it. It's not yeah. something that we want to suppress or push away or deny, but we need to learn what the options are, how to expand into that without, because alcohol initially feels like that's what's happening, that our mind mm -hmm. is slowing down yeah. and that our body, then we're kind of moving and there's this like care, carefree feeling, that play flow feeling. It's a false positive feeling. Yes, now, we need it. Like the, the body is very smart. It's 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 saying we need these these things. We're deficient in them. We're um, depleted in them. So just like we can get depleted in vitamin D, we get depleted in that flow and that play. And so for those who are listening, you know what you named were swinging, playing pickleball, hitting the tennis ball. They all end in ing, and so that's a way to think about it. That's how I, I talk about the ing activities. And so we're active, but we're in that zone. So fishing, knitting, gardening, I don't care what it is. Coloring. Coloring, <laughs> painting, um, what's cooking? What's the thing that ends in IMG that puts mm. you in that flow state? Because your brain needs to go into that flow state. And if we don't actively, consciously, intentionally find it, and it, it's not like you're going to find it this afternoon. Like there's some exploration, <laughs> yeah. there. yep. curiosity. You got to try some things and, and try, you know, experiment. But, um, but finding that thing, because we don't consciously do it, we unconsciously then, because what else ends in ING? Drinking, drugging, overeating, overspending. Mm, so yeah. it's, again, we don't want to suppress it. We want to be like, this is amazing. The body knows. Celebrate the it. Yeah. Knows. Why, we just need to understand then why we're doing these things and what we're trying to really feed and nourish when we're doing them. And then not shame ourselves. Just be like, oh, this makes so much sense that. The neurobiology is fascinating. Let's give the body and the brain what it's wanted all along. Yeah. Yeah. I could listen to you all day. It's one of these episodes where I'm supposed to be like taking notes to ask questions, but I'm just like, like just listening and I love learning from you. <laughs> yeah. It's so Thank good. You. 
Yeah. So I've obviously been following you kind of since the beginning of when I st- like started my drinking like non-drinking journey, but what I was really excited about more recently, right, was when I subscribed to your Substack, and um, you started writing about how you got God curious and went on this whole spiritual spiritual journey and pilgrimage, and so that's what we're going to talk about in our next episode together, which I'm so excited about. But for today, is there a tiny new action that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's always funny how I feel like the flavor of the, the season for me, you know, different things that, that um, are really piquing my interest. Resistance training and just that muscle-centric, that muscle being an endocrine organ and how much it helps the brain, and support, you know, lifting heavy weights um, is very, very good for the brain, something that I'm kind of digging my teeth into, uh, just personally doing and the research and I know people like to talk dopamine a lot in the alcohol conversation. Lifting weights is one of the most kind of natural, um, organic ways for an immediate dopamine boost. So I guess, you know, if there's something I would leave wow. with that's just mm-hmm. top, like a favorite for me right now. And if people are in that, wherever they are, you know, early, middle, yeah. I'm nine years out from drinking alcohol. I think putting lifting weights, there's just a, a confidence that an embodied confidence, that strength, mm-hmm. but it does so much to the brain, to the endocrine system, helps sleep. So I'm, I'm learning more and more and kind of experimenting myself. So if you don't lift weights, I'm excited about it right now. And that, that might be my, my newest healthy discovery. I love I, that tiny Tina. I love that Tina, because, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, especially for the people that start this journey, it's like, we there's a hyper focus on the things that I like I'm trying to remove these things from my life I'm trying to remove drinking things that don't serve me from my life and at a certain and one of the I think the biggest challenge as a coach sometimes is like okay yes I understand that you want to remove these things from your life and we we can do that but we don't have to remove everything first and then figure like why not start inviting things in that can to use your word nourish us in a way, as we're exploring this, it doesn't have to be, oh, now I'm in this next phase where now I can start looking at all of you know this other stuff. It's just, let me invite something in that might be uh, beneficial to my nervous system, to my brain. And how will that also start supporting me as I'm continuing to disrupt the drinking cycle that I'm in and, and find freedom from that? So I love that the Tina is just something kind of like practical in a way that's like, yeah, why not try lifting weights? And also I'm like, all right, like I see you. I this has been something for me that I've been <laughs> like, are you talking to me, Jolene? Because I've had this neck thing. And so I've been taking a little break, but I I have wonder. I'm like, well maybe like the weightlifting isn't for me and maybe I should focus over here. But I also know that to to your point, I've seen the benefits. And so I'm like, okay, it's time to maybe add back a little bit of that. <laughs> It's harder, harder to start back, right? So, yeah. I, I mean, that could that could almost be a whole show. Like, I have so much yeah. to say about that, and just menopause, and it, you know, preserving skeletal muscle. But this is this is the philosophy of my work of adding things in. So we take alcohol mm-hmm. out, and it's all about the adding in and the noticing what because when we drink, we get a shift. It's you know, and so when we do these things, it's not about just loading our to do list. 
Um, yes. Because very new drinkers, they achieve, they perform, they, but then I say, but what happens when you do it? And they're like, what do you mean what happens? And so I'm like, if, if something's not happening, don't do it. Like, don't do a bunch of yoga and meditation yeah. and weightlifting. <laughs> like I do things. I notice a shift when I lift weights. Like I really, yes. my body starts to feel strong. My mind feels strong. I feel more clear. I sleep better. So we want to do things that that's my whole work of what gives the shift when we add things in and love that the basics. And, you know, if there's something that I love doing is firing people up and getting people excited about coming back to the basics because we, we go for mm -hmm. all the shiny glimmer, you know, shiny things. And I, I'm led the biohacking, you know, with the next person, but the basics move the needle. And when we really, I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. me say this in other interviews, but I often say one of my favorite functional nutrition lectures that I ever heard was an hour long lecture from a medical doctor on broccoli. Like, <laughs> and, and I'm so inspired by that of coming back to these things that we just kind of, we're like, oh yeah, vegetables. Oh yeah. Walking. Oh yeah. But when you dig into the science behind all of those, mm -hmm. it's like, it just fires me up. And I want to share that passion because the basics, we dismiss it, but the basics is where the magic is. Yeah. Um, I love that. And so go back to the basics, add them in. Find what really moves the needle for you and gets a shift and then repeat it. And that's how you groove those neural pathways and set another pattern away from the pattern of drinking. I love that. Jolene, can you tell everybody where they can find you? And we will link everything, obviously, in the show notes as well. But will you let our listeners know where they can check you out? Yes. So grayareadrinkers.com is where all my, all my info is. I'm mostly active on Instagram. You can follow me over there. And then like you mentioned, I do have a Substack where I just write a little more personally, um, not as much gray area drinking, but I infuse it. So those are, that's where you find my, my courses, my coach trainings. I do still work with individuals one-on-one. -on -one, um, and then I have downloadable programs that are all on grayareadrinkers.com. Amazing. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. We so appreciate you. Thank You're you, welcome. Jolene. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.